Hi, Fee Hills here and welcome to the Virtual Coffee House. Today we're going to be talking about creating an exceptional cultural change champions network across your organisation. And for today's session, I'm here discussing this whole topic with Chris Thorne. Now, Chris is an executive coach, NLP practitioner and facilitator who is a partner at the Virtual Coffee House. She works with leaders and teams to help them adapt to change and thrive in the new world of work. Welcome, Chris. Hi, Fee. Great to be here. Really looking forward to our conversation. Today, what we're going to do is structure the session into three. We're going to take a look at what is a cultural change champion and also what is their role. We're then going to look at why do we need them? And then for the third part, we're going to look at the how. How do we create an exceptional cultural change network? What do our champions need to really do the job properly and to feel supported? And of course, to have the right tool sets to get the job done. Before we go into talking about cultural change champions in particular, and you know what they are and what their role is, I've, I know that you've had a lot of experience with change champions working in business transformation. It would be really useful to make a comparison between change champions and cultural change champions. So walk us through your experience of change champions and how they supported different projects. Sure. So I used to work with uh, global corporate clients and the transformations they were normally doing were putting in a large uh, ERP system and changing the, the business process. So the role of the change champions on those programs was firstly, they were an advocate for the change. They were the voice that people would listen to or come to if they had questions or concerns, because when things are uncertain on a change program, people will look to someone like a change champion for clues on how to behave. So they became masters of the new technology, the new processes. They worked with the project team to ensure that all the requirements were met. And then once training had been delivered, they were available to support people within the business if they had questions or concerns or didn't understand you know, what they needed to be doing to basically to implement the training, because until you've actually flipped the switch on a system, it, it's, you know, you really don't know what you've got. And so their role really was, I'd say, a bit of reassurance, uh, a bit of practical hands-on support, and really just being there to help the business smooth that transition between the old way and the new way of working. I mean, what do you think is the difference with a, with a culture change champion, though? Because obviously that's, that's slightly different when we're talking about culture versus just a change to a system or a process. A lot of the criteria for what we're looking for it's pretty much the same because we're asking them to lead, help lead the change. Uh, but the culture, they really need to know a little bit more about the fundamentals of human behaviour mm. and the way people think, because they're going to be influencing how people change their thinking and behaviour in terms of inside out rather than outside in. I think the key thing I saw so often was that the change was done to people instead of for people. So it was basically, here's the system, here's the new process, this is what you are going to be doing. There isn't a lot of discussion or how do you feel about it? It's just get on with it. Um, but what we know now with, with how work is today is that 
you can't do that. People, you need to get people on board with change. Otherwise, it, it will fail. Okay, that's a really good point. So when we're talking about culture change, it's even more so like that. So you can't do the change to people. They have no. to be the change. Do you see what I mean? Well, you know this stuff anyway. because Yes. And well, the key thing is you've, you've got to win hearts and minds. Completely. Well, you've got to win hearts and minds. But the key thing about the culture change champions and why they need more skills and tools in, in the current workplace is because we are asking them to influence thinking and behaviour. Mm. but we're giving them the tools to do it. Mm. Obviously, they need the support to do it from the top. All leadership need to be behind this, so they need that support. Chris, what are, what are some of the attributes you feel that they need? Well, one of the first attributes, it's learning that how to, how to master, I guess what I'll call your, you know, your response. It's understanding that in the face of change, that you have a choice what you want to do and how you want to respond. There, I think there will always be an initial just reaction that happens when anything happens to us. We'll think something, we'll you know, do something. But what we do next is down to us. And a culture change champion really understands that. Um, and they've got compassion for other people. So they understand that everyone goes through change in a different way, in a different rate. There's the, that classic change curve where we sort of go up and then we dip down and come back up again. And there they help others to move through that cycle and understand that people, it's it's not a linear process. People might go back and forth. They love learning. They love sharing the new knowledge that they've gained. They love helping other people develop that knowledge and share knowledge across the, uh, the organization. They're leaders. You know, they stand up. People want to, to hear what they have to say because they're confident, they're articulate, they're an advocate for the change. They give people certainty about what to do. You know, what are the right behaviors that we need to be doing to be successful in this new environment? So they give that, that certainty and that stability and comfort. Um, I think they have what, what, you'd, what we would call that growth mindset. They look at learning as an opportunity. They don't see, you know, they see failure as a form of feedback. They're not afraid to take chances or um, they're also proactive about change. They anticipate it. They don't wait for it to happen to them. Um, and they're great. They have great communication skills. They're good at picking up on what other people, how people need to be communicated with. They're very good at influencing. They're respectful of other people. Um, and they can just harness, you know, bringing lots of different people together with lots of diverse backgrounds and opinions and getting them on board in moving in a certain direction. So that's that's a lot to ask for one individual. But that's why we need a network of them, because we need more than one person across the organization with these skill sets. Would you agree, Fee? It's a tall order. I mean, mm. you just sort of you just outlined the perfect person <laughs> it's a hero isn't it it's like wow where was it where is this culture change champion they're going to spring out the ground fully formed <laughs> where are these people yeah. exactly where are they because they're not just talented they're values driven they're they're leaders mm. they're passionate they're compassionate do we find this all in one person maybe maybe not but there are champions out there there are champions who are passionate and they are compassionate. 
they want to lead the way, they want to learn. But fundamentally underlying this is that they're lifelong learners. Mm. These people are willing to learn. So they're modeling that, which is what we need to see in all employees. So in culture change, we fundamentally need to create a learning culture mm. and a one that obviously a well-being culture that that's sort of foundational. But yes, do it, you know, I've, I've heard a couple sorry, of God. it's interesting you mentioned a learning culture fee because, you know, I've, I've actually seen a couple of really great quotes from some CEOs recently that talk about why that's so important. I mean, people saying things that, you know, look, if we don't help people to develop the internal resilience and that continual learning and the agile mindsets that they're, you know, the organization is not going to be able to change or, you know, that organizations that don't, that are not continually learning and adapting, they're going to lose the competitive edge, aren't they? Um, and we, we know John Hagel, who we love, we follow, is always saying that, it's one of the most strategic um, and advantageous things you can do as an organization is to develop this culture of what we call scalable learning, where people want to share new knowledge across the organization. 100%. Let's just discuss for a second what they don't need to be. Okay, Because mm, that's equally as important. It is. They don't. <laughs> it's nowhere near as long as the list of what they do need to be. What you just, they don't need to be part of the management team or hold any specific job title, as as in normal any change champion, to be fair. But they must be able to see things from the management perspective and also understand, really understand for cultural change, the business vision, the business mission and the values and behaviour. So they need to really get a hold on that. It's like, you need to know the pathway if you're going to travel it, especially if you're going to trailblaze and lead the way. Sounds like they really need to be able to step back and see that bigger picture, but then sometimes be able to kind of zoom in on the details if they need to. Yeah, well, they're going to be implementing the change, aren't they? So effectively, mm. they're the ones with the tool set. They're the carpenters, as I call them. The carpenters need the skill to do the job, but they also need to have the most effective tools to do the job. And I think what very often happens with change champions, certainly in behavior and cultural change, is they're given sometimes the skill and the understanding, but they're not given the tools. Yeah, which so is worse, like, isn't it? Well, we're expecting them to be neuroscientists and, you know, experts in behavior change. They're not. They're not. And they're also not learning and development experts nine times out of ten. And they're also not OD experts and they're not trainers. So, you know, we shouldn't expect them to hold a room and deliver a workshop of 30, 40 people in it or 100 people. That Because that's too much to expect. But could we expect them to run a session of 15 people or 10 people in a team for 15 minutes? Absolutely, if they've got the right tools to do the job there is no reason that they can't be trained up to facilitate change in an incremental way now that's not to say that some change champions can't run workshops i'm saying we shouldn't expect them to be at that level to do that i have an experience where people who were effectively champions of change actually did run workshops up to about 25 people they weren't in learning and they weren't in od but they were amazing so with culture change champions, we're talking about implementing incremental bites mm. of change and then giving them the right skills 
and the right understanding of behavior and then the right toolbox to implement. You, you need to break that journey down. You need to make it feel accessible. You need to give people hope as though they're closer to the change than they think so that they, they don't lose heart and they stay a bit more motivated. They have hope that they can make it work. So I think these are all great points that you're raising here, Fee. So in the how, by the way, Chris, as you know, we're going to be talking about how do we actually implement, which is a very sort of practical look at taking our framework or whatever it may be, or say we want a coaching culture, how do we break that down and implement to achieve that using a network of change champions? Chris, before we go into the how, let's take a bird's eye look at the why, because I think it's really important to know why do we need cultural change champions so much more than we did before? We're living in a time of the most disruptive change and people are trying to find ways to adapt and keep up with that. And a culture change champion, they are the vehicle in order to help us do that. Because I think it's common knowledge with businesses right now that if you want to attract and retain people, you need to have a great culture. It's like an operating system. It just keeps the business working well. And that culture starts with it's a collective mindset and on a way of thinking and your change culture change champions are the way in which you are going to get people on board with that mindset because behavior is contagious and so if you've got a few people that have the right mindset have the right behavior they're modeling that change and people can see that there's a benefit to what they're doing they will get on board and that, that's how the behavior will spread, really, I hate to say that, like a virus through the organization, but in a good way, in a good way that helps us to all thrive. I think it's also true to say that no change has ever really happened, no major change, without championship of some yes. kind. So no, I'd agree. And the other point here, Chris, on top of your point, Culture is something that a company has to own. It's not something they can outsource. Oh, 100%. I'd agree with that. They can get help. You can get facilitators. You can get tools. But culture is so unique to that company, whether you like it or not. Once you put people in a room, they will create a unique culture. Absolutely. As an organization, who's creating a culture and wants to foster a specific culture, we need to create the environment that allows that to happen. And it has to be internal. And that is why the Change Champions Network has to be part of the process. There is also this point, Chris, that I want to touch upon about the World Economic Forum Top 2025 Future Work-Based Skills, specifically looking at really the importance of higher order thinking skills, resilience, emotional intelligence, that sort of thing. So talk talk to that a bit. Well, the World Economic Forum has essentially set out uh, what they believe to be the most critical skills that individuals will need in order to thrive uh, in, in work as, it, as we go forward. And as you, you've touched on a few of them, uh, Fisa, some of them are technical, as you might expect with new technologies emerging, but most of them are human-centered. They're soft skills, things like communication, critical thinking, emotional intelligence, uh, resilience, that ability to adapt to change, to learn, to grow, communication skills, leadership and influencing skills. So, 
these are skills that, believe it or not, a lot of them can be taught. Some people obviously will have a predisposition and they'll feel more comfortable and some skills will come more naturally to them. But the great news about a lot of these skills is that with some practice, you can learn and embed these skills and you can master them if you're willing to put in the effort. And the culture change champion is a great way to model those skills. So basically a, a culture change champion, they're helping people to become both a student and a teacher as we develop these skills, because it's it's a two-way street with a lot of them. And we'll, we'll touch on a coaching culture uh, and that mindset in a, probably a future episode, but everyone needs to embrace these skills if they want to be, I don't want to say competitive, but if they want to thrive, because as technology gets more and more advanced, it's actually the human skills that are going to make people stand out because you can't replace those with a machine. Apparently. <laughs> well, yeah. watch watch this space. <laughs> my my son was telling me yesterday he was reading about, you know, all these um you know, like the four day work week and citing that one of the reasons that they're pushing the four day work week over where he is in is the States is that they are trying to slow down uh, having to lay people off because they're anticipating that with AI and new technology, so many roles are going to become obsolete. And if they have a, a shorter work week, then I guess they can keep more people employed doing similar jobs or something like that, which is interesting. I hadn't heard that explanation for the four day work week, but it doesn't surprise me. I mean, that's really interesting. I think the other thing is with change champions and these higher order thinking skills like creative thinking, analytical thinking, critical thinking. These are the skills we really, really need, as well as emotional intelligence, resilience and that sort of thing. Mm. But these are skills that the change champions, if they're given the right toolkit and they're given the right understanding, they don't need to be subject matter experts. They can develop these skills. And that is, you know, so helpful to the organization. Not only can they support and foster a new culture, but they can actually help to develop skills. I, and I think that was an, an interesting point that you mentioned about the learning, because one thing we do know from a training point of view is that if people do not have the opportunity to, uh, to take the learning that they get through, say, a workshop or, you know, some other sort of intervention and apply it and use it, in their day-to-day -day work, that it's, it's almost like they, they never went to the workshop. They never learned the skill. It just becomes forgotten. So I think that's a great point you raised there, Fee, is that the culture change champion can be really instrumental in helping people to embed and use those skills on, a, on a, what we call an iterative basis so that they become second nature to them. And yeah, it's almost the only way of doing it. Whether, you, whether the champion is a team leader and you do it as a team coaching exercise, or whether a champion is dedicated network around the organization, you can do it in many different ways. One of the first things I thought was that there needs to be some coordination here. Um, obviously, when we set out to do a cultural change, like any like any project, you know, we need to define where we're trying to get to, you know, where, where are we now? Where do we need to be? How do we bridge the gap? Uh, and then what are the interventions that we will use in order to make that happen really and then how do we bring these culture change champions into that process and then as you say you know send them out where they're needed to help implement and keep that change going my preference is the change champion network 
that is not connected to a team and then do the team coaching separately. Mm. But companies do it both ways and they expect their team leaders, their first line and second line managers, they expect them to be champions. But if they're naturally not, then they're not going to get much success. So it's better to recruit the champions based on their attributes and mindset. Okay, so Chris, let's move on to the how. How do we create a cultural change champion network that is both you know, effective and sustainable? And really when it comes to culture, this has to start with you know, what culture do we want? Now, what I am hearing a lot more of is organizations asking about the type of culture they want. So like, I want a coaching culture or I want a feedback culture, or I want innovation culture, um, rather than just embedding values from a framework, which is a really interesting shift from a few years ago. So let's just say, for example, you do want a coaching culture. What now? Of course, we've got to have someone actively helping to identify who are the best people to become these culture change champions. And once we have identified them, we need to equip them with the skills. So some skills they may already have, but there will probably be a few gaps. And we want to make sure that they've got the right skills in order to be this culture change champion that we described before, very emotionally intelligent, compassionate, able to influence, get people on board. And they then need to be encouraged to use those skills on the job and teaching and developing other people how to use those skills as well. There needs to be a bit of, I guess I'll say accountability for people to to put these practices into place because otherwise they just won't. It will just fall by the wayside. And of course, part of this whole culture shift, as you've said earlier, it's, you know, it's the learning. We've got to get people in the mindset of, embracing learning as a way of being through the organization where failure is feedback. We're trying to build new knowledge. We, you know, we, we do something, we look back on it, we adapt, we change. And it's, it's a mindset really ultimately that we're trying to get people to adopt across the organization. So how do we practically put together a network of cultural change champions? What understanding, what skills, and what tools do they need to effectively and sustainably get the job done? We've got our way of doing culture change, and we do something called experiential coaching and facilitation. Now, experiential just means that we we put the learner in an experience to experience that learning and then put it into practice. And it's, it's proven to be, I think, like 90% more effective than traditional learning when people do something experientially. So as part of our process, of course, we would introduce them to the idea of what is experiential coaching facilitation, give them the necessary skills that they need in order to do it. We'll help them understand a little bit about the brain science behind why it works and what makes it effective. And then of course we would introduce our methodology, which is the EPIC uh, methodology. So that is experiential, playful, iterative, and collaborative. Now experiential, we've just said, is putting that learner at the heart of the experience, playful. We know that um, people learn better when they're having fun, when it's playful. Now experiential isn't always playful. Sometimes it isn't appropriate, but 
at times it can be appropriate and it can be highly effective. Iterative simply means it's that process I was saying before, where you learn, you reflect, you adapt, and you do this continually. So it's it's like a feedback loop. And then of course, collaborative means that we're working together with other people to build that new knowledge and create, you know, to learn and create new knowledge together. And now we have a great tool called Behavior Games, which are little um, 15 to 20 minute activities that the culture change champions can then use to facilitate learning and conversations throughout the organization. And we have a fantastic uh, tool called the treasure chest, which has hundreds of these activities. Now, of course, you don't need hundreds. You just need to know which ones are specific to your situation. And of course, that's something that we can help of those cha uh, the champions to do is identify for your culture, your situation, which one of these activities or which grouping of these activities would be the most effective to accelerate and scale the behavior change that your organization is setting out to achieve. Um, and Fee, can you speak to, because I know Fee has been using these activities for several years. They've been validated across something like 35,000 people worldwide. Um, and Fee, maybe you want to speak to, you know, what, what do you notice when people are playing out these activities? Behaviour game activities are structured to be, like you said, around experience, the experiential process. There is some information, but it's 90% transformation. Then they have a structure. So how do I play this out? So the logistics, what do I need to play this out? And then there are instructions. So how do we play it? And then there's a reflection. Each behavior game activity is designed in a, in a structure that goes observe, reflect, adapt. So it's observe, put people in experience. So they've got the directions to do that and then reflect on that afterwards. So in any activity, the most important part of the activity is the reflection. Yeah, so if you imagine a group based behavior game and we've got let's just take let's just take an application. We've got a team of 10 and it's a team meeting and we want to play out a behavior game activity in the beginning of the meeting to start implementing our behavior and cultural change seamlessly as possible into the business. So we don't want to eat up separate time always. I mean, we could do coffee break learning and lunchtime learning and things like that, but we can also use the team meetings to maybe helicopter in and do a 10 minute session before it starts. So if you've got one hour for a meeting, you might wanna do 10 minutes up front. Now, what that will mean is that the meeting is probably more likely to be more effective anyway, and you've built the learning or the development or the culture change into the meeting itself. So that's well, the one other, way of doing it. Sorry, go on. Sorry, I was just gonna say the other great thing about doing that is that if you tie it into something like a team meeting that happens on a regular basis, it's easier for people to grasp to, to make it a habit. So it becomes something that we just do every week or however often we have a team meeting and it, and it becomes far easier for people to just fit it into the day without having to think too much about it. And it will be more effective as a result. Absolutely. I mean, I think the idea of implementing development into our team meetings, especially if they're weekly or regular, is the most effective way of doing cultural change because it doesn't eat into any business time when time is of the essence as such. And Definitely. it makes the whole hour more productive anyway. So what's there not to love? Mm. So 
this that's the ideal way of doing it of course it doesn't always work that way because it depends on how the organization works or teams work people may not have a weekly meeting so that that can't work at that point then they have to meet specifically to do these activities or do a coffee break learning session a behavior game activity could be anywhere between five minutes and 20 minutes and then we could stack those together to get longer interventions so let's say we had an hour we might want to put three activities together to run a sort of 60 minute workshop so that's why a lot of facilitators use them to run their experiential workshops or even an away day absolutely away day they're perfect for away days absolutely perfect but if you, so if you looked at it from the change champion's point of view, we maybe don't want them to get that, to do that straight away. So we maybe just want them to get, say, 20 minute activity or a 15 minute activity. But the important thing here is to drip feed the activities to the champion in order. So let's say I want a coaching culture. A coaching culture will have a framework and indicators. And against that, we'll build the toolkit. But one of the important thing is we can't play the activities out randomly if you want to embed culture. We're going to have to do it one step at a time. And all the cultural change champions will be doing the first activity first and then the second and then the third. They just won't go one and then to five and then to ten because we're trying to roll out and align a culture together. Does that make sense? So the structure of the activity is experiential. Basically, the change champion learns to play that activity out and practices it. So this is where they get their skill. So they don't just get given the activities and off they go and play them. Now, some will be able to do that, no problem. But I wouldn't want to do that to a whole network because some people want to have that practice and rehearsal first. So they need a rehearsal with all the activities. That's a coaching exercise in a group coaching environment where they get to facilitate the activities with the group. So they practice and then they implement. So they've got the understanding, then they've got the skill, and of course the confidence to do it because they've already rehearsed it. And then they feel quite confident to go out and play one activity. For the listeners, let's go through one activity and give an example of a behavior game activity. Well, there's so many, but one, I mean, one that springs to mind, I think that people can grasp quite quickly. It's uh, its called chain reaction. So imagine you've got a, uh, a situation and you've got, you know, you've got the audience in the room, you've got your facilitator, and we have two characters in this scenario. We've got the blamer and we have a future framer. And so they, you know, they go out the, the room with the facilitator and they, the, the facilitator briefs them on the story or the scenario, and they're each taking two different sides. So the blamer, as you may guess from the name, is all about, oh, what went wrong? Who didn't do this? Who didn't do that? You know, finger pointing, blaming, you know, being very, well, that victim mindset really. And then the future framer, is the person who's looking for the solution. Well, what, what could we learn? How could we adapt? How can we change things going forward? So the two players, the two characters, they will come back into the room with the audience and they each tell their respective stories. And as the game is playing out, the audience's job is to listen to both stories 
and capture, you know, what are the words are saying? What am I hearing? You know, how are they, what's their body language, how they're moving? And most importantly, what impression or what effect is that having on me as a person listening to these two stories? And then as a group, we discuss our observations. So what did you notice? How did you feel? What do you think is going to be, you know, what was getting, what was the, uh, the values, the behaviors, the mindset that was coming across in those two stories. And we sort of dissect the whole thing and look at, okay, well, so is it necessary to apportion blame or responsibility if things go wrong? Or, you know, if we do have to, you know, hold someone accountable, I hate to say the blame, but if we have to hold someone accountable, what is the best way that we can do this? So you get a good conversation and a good discussion opening up and no doubt people remembering other instances or stories when they've seen these two behaviors play out in their day-to-day lives. And so people will come away from that with firstly, an awareness and an understanding of the difference between the language and how that comes across to other people and an awareness of, well, yeah, which one is more effective and which behavior do I want to adapt the next time I have a situation that's similar to this. So in this way, that's how you're putting people in that experience and then giving them that opportunity to discuss with other people. So they're hearing other points of view, they're opening perspectives and then make their own conclusions to go forward. Okay, so we've got awareness on that. So the mm. first thing is obviously awareness, but also remembering that the blamer and the future framer is giving us a mind nudge. So yes. the mind nudge for next time. Okay, so the socialization of the group, becoming more aware together, will also start to, if we do this on mass across an organization as well, Sorry, I'm buttoning on your activity here. But no, it's fine, you got, please. You got, you got me thinking. That, um, thinking about that is that if we do this on mass and everyone in the organisation becomes either a blamer or a future framer uh, as a sort of archetype, they can then decide which one am I going to be. We're mind-nudging people into alignment of wanting to be more future framer-focused together yes so it's not the power of one group going through it actually that activity and then them becoming amazing future framers the point of these exercises is as an organization or or as a group as a whole so we start to influence the organizational language and once you influence the organizational language and then raise or raise the self-awareness, sorry, first, and then change the organizational language step by step, activity by activity, in alignment, then you start to see a cultural shift over a period of time. Now, what would you say that period of time was in your experience, Chris? Well, I do think it can vary because I think people are at different points in their their journey, if you like. So if someone's at, let's say I have like the, you know, that kind of growth mindset, you know, that thought of being more proactive and forward thinking. And that, that it's also about taking responsibility and ownership for your own experience. So you'd be less in that blamer um, side of the spectrum. So if you had the blamer and the frame, future framer at two ends of a spectrum, I think depending upon where people are on that continuum is gonna depend on, or will drive how fast 
they would make that shift. So if, obviously, if someone's at that far end of being in the blamer and that victim mindset, it's going to take them a bit longer to take those incremental steps. Whereas if you have someone who's on the other side of the spectrum, they might, you know, one in one or two experiences like this, and they could be, you know, completely transformed. So I, I think it's hard to put a time scale on it. I know we do we do mind nudging sprints of about 24 days because we, we you know we try to keep it short, sharp, and impactful, but it takes a lot of brain power. So I think it, yeah, it, I think it, I hate to say the word it depends, but I think it does depend upon where people are, but in order to shift anyone on a change journey, it's going to involve a series of small steps in the right direction. And this is one way of, of a highly effective way of making those things happen. So typically, if you're embedding a new set of values and you had four values and then specific behaviours underneath those values, as an example, and then build up the activities behind it, usually I say about 20 to 25 maximum activities will, will foster a new culture. It's about the whole iterative change that happens in incremental steps. And it's the power of the whole thing together that tends to change the language of the organization or the group. It's not the amount of time. It's the number of repetitions Mm. that is what causes the change to come about. So it's you could have people that are exposed to one or two of these ideas um, over a long period of time. And and it's not as effective. But if you're if you're exposed to something repeatedly so like we were saying earlier with maybe those weekly team meetings where you're getting these ideas across and you have more repetitions and and trying to also reinforce it in the day-to-day interaction with people you're going to be a lot more effective in a shorter space of time so think repetition not length of time so say for example you were to roll out one activity a week if the change champions were rolling out one a week they would need 10 to 20 minutes in each group if time allows that then great if it doesn't you'd have to do it slower Mm. simple as or maybe put the digital mind nudging in the ideal world you would roll out one a week so if you had a framework of four categories and in each one of those categories you had four behaviors then that's 16 so that's 16 weeks. But then again, if you can't do it every week, that may take double that length of time. Consistency and certainty is very important. So if it becomes part of something that people know when to expect that you're going to be doing this, mm. um, it's, it's going to be more effective where if it's a bit random and hit and miss, it's not going to fly. But anyway, so hopefully people understand the behavior games or the activities. Fundamentally, They're our activities in terms of that's what we do. But whatever you do and however you do it, one, it has to be experiential in its design. And two, we're saying culture change champions must have a toolbox. I have a good example in an organisation where the head of L&D basically handed out activity by activity when it was due and said, right, now do this one, now do this one, now do this one. So the change champion had learned them, they just had to implement them, and they were passionate about each particular activity and got excited about it, and then they went out around the organisation playing out this activity. Simple. Mm. And it so they really took it on board. So they also weren't overwhelmed with, here's a toolbox of activities, get on with it. So important. 
if you had a culture change champions network of 60, you can't presuppose that everybody's going to know what to do with that toolbox. It has to be directed. But let's suppose that we have 60 in our network. I've chosen 60, by the way, Chris. I have no idea why I'm picking the number randomly <laughs> out the air. 60, yeah. 600, whatever. Right. So we, we have 60 in the network. We need to ensure that they're collaborating and they're on the same page and they're aligned and they're a learning tribe. So talk a little bit about that for me. Well, I mean, especially with the numbers that you've just thrown out, I would think that it's you know it's critical. But you've got someone who's got a, a bit of an overall, I'll call it responsibility to make sure that these groups are meeting on a regular basis. But in terms of the actual logistics of, of where and how those groups meet, I think that should be down to the groups themselves. Now, certainly within each group, someone should take ownership for what is happening in those conversations. And you, you would set out, I think, I'd say a bit of like a charter of, you know, here's the purpose of our, our meetings. Here's what we're here to do. Here's how we behave toward each other. Kind of the ground rules um, so that everyone's clear on what we're, what we're there to achieve. And someone taking a little bit of ownership of, okay, we're going to meet, you know, however often in this time, this place, whatever. It's not so much the technology that you use to facilitate these conversations. It's more what happens in the conversations themselves that's going to make them effective. So any support that this overall um, I'll call them a coordinator, can give them in terms of perhaps maybe suggested topics or suggested areas, or um, is there any way for people to feed back their, their shared new knowledge so that that can be shared across other people within the network or the organization? So perhaps, you know, some form of collective place to gather that new knowledge and that new learning so it can be disseminated um, so everyone can see the benefit of it. And really then it's just going on an ongoing basis to, you know, to continue to meet, continue to share, continue to help each other, perhaps support other people in other networks. So there's, I think there's lots of different ways that you can play this out. It's got to be something that each team has a sustainable and easy, easy way in place in order to meet up, you know, set that, have that time blocked out, know what they're there to do. And then of course, be able to make sure that everyone across the network can benefit from this new knowledge that's being created. I mean, how, what do you think to that, Fee? I also think if you can use technology to collaborate when they're not in those gatherings. Yes. But there's so many tools available for that. And organizations, I really do feel, who are going to have a change champion network already have those tools. Yeah. And I think, you know, especially we all hear about these, you know, Zoom fatigue and different things. And obviously that it's just being mindful that, you know, whatever medium that you use to meet up or, or converse, that, you know, it's it's done in a way that, you know, it's not draining, it's not tiring, people want to engage with it, it doesn't become yet another notification that pings up that, you know, you've got something you've got to pay attention to. So it's using the technology to your advantage. It's the human side that's more important, really, than the, than the technical. Well, also, I do believe that obviously you're going to need a program manager. Um, definitely so how do we measure if the change champions network is getting the result you want we are going to have an episode just on diagnostics and measurement right i'm going to put your linkedin profile in case anyone wants to link in with you chris yeah that's great on one of the episodes in the not too distant future chris is going to be talking about how to create the coaching culture thank you very much chris and thanks everybody for listening 
Thanks, everyone. Hope you enjoyed the podcast and tune in next week for the next one.